Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Coach Eric Klump, it is beyond the ball, and we are back for another week. How are you doing? Doing well. It was a beautiful, beautiful weekend here in the 716. We don't get too many like this. You know, as we roll into the end of the school year, our last season for these senior athletes is rolling on. And this upcoming week, they should have a beautiful week to enjoy as they get going in their, their for these seniors, their last event, their last season. Um, yes. But as I was going through my weekend, I, I caught a little bit on your Twitter feed, oh, and yeah. I just want to bring this up because I wanted to talk about this concept, Coach. So it, you tweeted hashtag AAU bingo in the gym for 10 minutes, zone, zone, and more zone. <laughs> I guess we will work on our zone offensive concepts. So it brings me to one of the great questions when, when it comes to basketball coaching and building and fundamentally solid players. Um, when do you believe is an appropriate time for our players to begin to be allowed to even play zone? Yeah, what a great question. And I, I'll start off by saying I don't typically tweet a lot of stuff where I let my opinions come out. Like I usually just retweet or mm. like stuff. I don't usually let too many of my um, emotions get the best of me when I'm tweeting. But this weekend was just, it's its its the season, right? There's so many people out playing AAU and travel ball all around the United States. And it's such a great question for me because I don't know the right answer to this. I just know that, you know, for me, trying to develop athletes to play the game of basketball at any age should start with like a fundamental, you know, base. And so for me, I, and we're coaching, just to clarify, I'm coaching my son's 13U team. You know, we're we're like a middle, you know, of the road team. I wouldn't say we're the most talented. I wouldn't say we're the least talented. But part of my objective as a high school coach, because I'm coming from both sides, is just to see, you know, if I can get these guys better as they're heading into their modified programs and give them some skills, some basic concepts and understanding. So when I walked in the gym yesterday and saw pretty much every team from 10-year-olds, you know, like fourth and fifth graders up through freshmen, almost every team was playing a 2-3 zone. Um, Our group, Buffalo Titans, not many of those teams play a 2-3 zone. Uh, My team plays virtually no zone at all. We did yesterday because we were up. Um, in one of our games, a pretty significant amount. 
And so we played a zone to practice it, um, but we weren't trying to win with it. We would have just stayed man if it was a close game. So I don't know the answer to that, Coach. Why don't I've been rambling, so why don't you jump in with your thoughts, and I'll collect mine. And my thoughts back. are um, anything below seventh grade, um, those individuals are – Playing at, the, at such a, a low level, first of all, the, the rim should be lowered for them at an appropriate height. Uh, obviously, I think most tournaments um, will use a different ball, specific size ball for them to, to be successful to shoot the ball. And, um, you know, below seventh grade, they should be playing man to man. So those were three thoughts I had on improving basketball as a developmental stage, uh, of course. Um, My other question to you would, you know, other than a zone would be, should they be allowed to play five on five um, before the age of seventh grade? Yeah. So, I mean, if you follow and we're on Twitter a little bit. Yeah, PGC Disciples. Yeah, PGC guys like Tyler Costin has been really, really, really uh, harping on this thought. And I agree, I think, with him. We've been doing more three-on-three in our open gym sessions um, this spring. Uh, And I think what I've seen is just more kids getting more touches, which I think is ultimately the key to Mm -hmm. development. Now, I think there is a place for... AAU, you know, basketball, um, in terms of seeing different competition, getting outside of, you know, your district or your area to see what other talent is out there. Mm-hmm. So in, on that level, I'm all about it. But yeah, I mean, you could probably, there's probably many ways to do it. I'm not a, I'm not a pro or a well, well-versed person in the European model, but in my Brief glances, I know that they do a lot of um, adjusting to the game. Smaller balls, shorter hoops, modify the court size, you know, to, to play a game very similar to basketball, um, just like but you would do it on a restricted size. I mean, that's what you would do, you know, for soccer. My kids play soccer, right. you know, so my, my eight-year-old's not playing on a high school size field. You know, she's playing on a field like a third of the size. Um, just so that it looks like soccer, but at the same time, like the kids aren't just running around crazy. So I don't know if I've really given you an answer on any of it. I would say this, um, if we're trying to develop the kids, we should be giving them as many touches as possible. And so every coach is going to need to do that in their own specific way. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're in your own gym and you only have, you know, eight or nine guys there playing three on three might be the best way to do it and just try to figure out the actions on offense that you're looking for or the spacing on defense that you want. I personally, as a coach in AAU, will not play zone um, in a tournament because I want those kids to play man to man. They need to be able to challenge themselves. Um, But at the same time, I would say this. Just the mere fact, and, you know, my tweet was a little passive aggressive, but um, about seeing zone and getting better at zone concepts. But at the same time, like our kids got smarter yesterday playing like they know how to now break a 2-2-1 press. You know what I mean? They know where to be against a 2-3 zone. You know, which a lot of them didn't have that knowledge prior to yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think from and tomorrow at practice, I mean, what kind of coach would I be, right? If 
I didn't at least prep a little bit for our next tournament to say, hey, um, one team even ran a one three one yesterday, which to me is mind blowing. I can't even get my high school kids <laughs> to understand a one three one. You know, we have these thirteen year olds doing their best to try and run it, but you know, it's just a teaching opportunity, I think, for me with my particular team to teach them how to play against the zone. Because ultimately, you know, if a team most of the time in AAU, if a team's playing zone, it's because they don't trust their man-to-man, right? They don't think they can guard anybody. That's usually good why. Good man-to-man is tough. Good man-to-man is tough, right? The best teams we ever play are man-to-man teams. So that's probably why they're in a zone in the first place. So in my thought process, just trying to prepare these kids for any scenario, if we can figure out how to play against zones, um, you know, then we just shoot the lights out. Or, you know, cut them up inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are they going to go to at that point? They can't do anything from there. So um, it's just it's just very frustrating when you see some really athletic kids that are really going to be very good basketball players, um, great athletes. But all they do is stand there on defense and, you know, wait for the other team to, to shoot and miss. <laughs> Right. They're not they're not really getting themselves any better for the next level. But I don't know. Every kid's going to develop differently. It's just a great conversation to have with so many different coaches to see how they feel about the development of the game of basketball as in a whole in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, the thing, coach, I think about that. And again, I'm in. I'm not going to lie. I'm in my own little bubble here in Western New York. We get out a little bit. We've gone to PGC, you know, camps and clinics outside of the area. AAU ball, we've both both coached it at different times in our career where we've been outside of the state a little bit, but regional still. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know the, what the goal is, you know, for AAU. I know a lot of kids are playing it to try to get recognition to maybe go play in college. You know, a lot of kids are just playing it because, you know, there's nothing in their town that maybe is suitable, right? That's where where we're at. We just don't have enough kids that basketball is their number one sport where we live. So we're looking to get with other kids that that's a priority. So Mm -hmm. everybody has just a different objective. And I don't know. I, I feel like I would like to see whatever lead organization um, in this country in terms of basketball development, kind of take the bull by the horns. And this could open up Pandora's box into like shot clocks too, right? Like the fact that there are some states that don't even use a shot clock at the high school level is still mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, that, that we play the game. I'm watching you know, like NBA highlights tonight and, you know, 24-second shot clock and the skill set these guys have to have, or you're just mm. not going to get a, a bucket. It just advances the development so much. So I don't know if a one size fits all model is, is accurate that everybody has to do it the same way, but um, there's a lot of ways to make a seven. There's you know? a lot of ways to make a seven. So I don't know the answer to that. I, I wish I was more definitive. Well, thanks um, for your thoughts. I, you know, yeah, that was I something just, that crossed my mind. You, know, you just try to get as many coaches' opinions as as you possibly can, because you know, looking reassessing our season from last year, I'm I'm kind of thinking to myself. I I believe of the the twelve league games that we had, we only saw nine quarters of man to man. 
So, you know, and in my, well, and you're welcome. Cause I think we gave you eight of them. Yeah. You gave us eight of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm here thinking, you know, how much of my practice needs to be devised up now into effective zone offense concepts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, you know, yeah, it is. You spend, and that's where as a coach, you got to be very alert. I think to, what your opponents have done, you know, what they trend as, because if they're a zone coach, like, I don't care if you spend two hours a day practicing your man offense, you know, if your your zone, if your team is terrible against the zone, that's why concepts is such a big thing now, mm-hmm. right? It's in spacing that literally if you're doing concepts and spacing correctly, it won't matter if you're right. Cause that is the zone. offense essentially. Yeah. Cause that becomes the offense. And that's actually how we figured yesterday out not to belabor the point or make this intro, you know, into a hour long thing, but that's how it's we its beat own it. podcast. It might be, it might become its own podcast. That's how we beat it yesterday. We, it became a positioning spacing ball movement issue. They literally, some of my guys were asking me like, well, coach, can we run this? And we can, run? and I'm like, guys, we don't even need to do that. Just, you know, set yourself up correctly and then move into space, move the ball um, and then make plays. And if you're open, shoot it. Like that's, that, that's all the game really is, you know? So uh, it was a good learning experience. I would agree with you in the fact that like as more and more teams see it um, or do it, sometimes I get the other side of it too. Like, if you're a two, three zone person, like you push, position them out there, you go over some of your basic rules and then you just play it. It gives you more time to do other things. All right. You know, uh, for a couple him. of years, um, two or two, three years ago, I, I went to it for a couple of seasons just because to protect two of my better players. I knew if they got in foul trouble, we would have um, very low percentage of winning games. Um, and what I quickly realized was scouting was a lot easier. You know, right. you only have you write down two or three plays that uh, someone runs against a man off or a man man offense. You got seven or eight good sets that you're like, ooh, we yeah, better yeah. prepare for that. But like man uh, zone offense was a little bit easier to scout. So um, those couple of years was a very good learning experience for me. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree with that more. I think um, you know your man to man. It can be a little bit harder to teach, but I think ultimately, if you do it correctly, it can be very effective. Um, whereas zone, if you get one guy, maybe not slow. Any defense is like that, though. Yeah. One guy in man doesn't do his job. The whole thing breaks down. So I guess it really it's, depends on like what you want your fastball to be, right? Yeah. What your style is, who yeah. your personnel is. Like, I got a couple of kids. I shouldn't tell you this, but I got a couple of bigger kids coming up that just don't move their feet very well. So, you know, contemplating zone defense there might be a thing. Right. <laughs> just because if they don't slide their feet very well, we're going to be caught, you know, being very susceptible to different actions. So, yeah, it's a great question. We uh, we might need to get some high school coaches on here coming up to, to talk this one out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tonight, Great ideas. This episode, though, super excited about our guests. So we've talked too long. So let's hit a break here. And when we come back, we'll get with our guest. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. 
With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. All right, guys, we are back with Beyond the Ball. I am flying solo today, solo in terms of my other co-host. Coach Klump is indisposed, but I am here with our guest, uh, Coach Jason Fry. How are you doing? Man, I am wonderful. It is Wednesday, and I'm ready to rock and roll with this sucker. Absolutely. We're we're recording. I'm recording here in Buffalo, New York. It's like sunny and 83 degrees finally. Um, so some nice weather. Is it nice where you are as well? Uh, I don't know. I'm in the basement, so uh, I, I assume so. Yes, you're in the base. Well, that's good. I am actually have the nice view of looking out the window right now. So I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to be out there soon enough uh, tracking down some of these athletes. Uh, Coach, we are so, Eric and I, even though he's not here, really appreciative of you coming on and taking the time. Absolutely, man. I am thrilled to do it. Uh, anything that kind of gets gets the word out, gets health out, gets, uh, gets coaches better, uh, I'm in for it. Absolutely. So we're going to start. Usually Eric kind of takes the first question, but I I will start with that today. The first thing I would love to talk about, and I was I read up and follow you on social media, so a huge fan of yours and everything you guys do with Pure Sweat and other platforms. Uh, one thing I heard about you is uh, you're really big into relationships and this idea of making those relationships. And I'll be honest, I want to keep this open for you. So just kind of expand for our coaches, athletes. We work in the basketball realm. So maybe just expand what, what your thoughts are on that. Maybe some best practices for building relationships, either between trainer and client or coach and athlete. Uh, and just kind of give us some insights of what you found. Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, first off, thank you. Um, very kind. I'm happy to be here. So uh, the other piece that I want to talk about is uh, let's imagine that we've got a rectangle or a square, however you want to do it. We have uh, the coach. We've got the AAU coach. We've got skills coach. We've got parents. Those are the corners. And then right smack dab in the middle, we've got the kid. Now, Everything intertwines. And so what we want to think about is how can we best perform the relationships and improve the relationships within each one of these corners that are attached and connected and then reach goes goes straight to the kid. So, um, you know, I think it's so important if regardless of which position you're in, it's important to have that relationship um, with those uh, with those adjoining um, angles. So how do we do that? Well, it's a communication thing. Like it's a reach out. It's a talk, you know, like when the kid is struggling, the kid is what matters most. And so I want somebody to go, Hey, you know, you know what? I, I worked out Tommy and, and I, I got to talk to Tommy's mom, or maybe I, I got to talk to Tommy's coach and see what kind of things have changed. What have, what has altered a little bit in terms of Tommy so that we can get the best Tommy. And I think that we're going to we have to work all together in order for Tommy to truly blossom and grow. Uh, and I and I hope that that piece kind of kind of gives you a good illustration into what we could do and how we could communicate uh, with each one of those. Absolutely. I, it, it definitely does. And I love the visual of the triangle. My question 
maybe just to dive a little deeper on this, in terms of the trainer side, what is the best mode have you found for connecting with those coaches in this day of age of social day and age of social media? We have a variety of ways. Are you still making that like a phone call? Is it it's a very informal like a text? How how do you approach that? I think that all of those you know, they all work. And so some coaches you see that are really big into social media, hit them up that way. Um, you can even get the kid to, to pass on his contact info and then reach out and give a call. Hey, coach, I'm, I'm working with Tommy. And uh, I noticed that when we did our first workout, this is what Tommy really struggled with. Or you contact the coach before you work out with Tommy, and then you can kind of get an idea. Coach, how could Tommy best serve you next year? What are the things that he does really, really well? And then we can build that improvement plan for Tommy based on what he does really well right now. And then slowly chirp and, you know, cheapen some some of the stuff that Tommy doesn't do very, very well. Then you got to find out from the coach, okay, what keeps Tommy off the floor completely? Then we also have to make sure that we do involve that in the improvement plan as well. Uh, so it's really important to just get the lay of the land for um, from coach. So then you also get coaches ideas and thoughts. You get Tommy's ideas and thoughts. And then, you know, mom and dad are definitely going to give you some thoughts because they're paying for it. So, uh, that's your best way to kind of build that plan and communicate with coach. That's so good. And one of the things, you know, doing a little travel ball as well myself, and I wouldn't necessarily consider that training, but I'm feel like I'm definitely part of that corner, is it what is sometimes your approach when maybe there isn't a relationship to be built? Have you ever come across those challenges where some coaches just don't want your opinion or don't value the input? What? How do you handle those scenarios? Uh, great question, and it is it is tough because you know, like coaches don't like trainers and trainers don't like coaches, and you know, like the one thing you can't do is ever talk poorly about the coach to the kid. And hopefully that's the other way around. The whole point, no matter what, is to get the kid better. So how do I improve his brain set, his mind? How do I improve his playing ability? How do I improve uh, his decision making so that he can make them faster or create those experiences for him? Um, And then your work speaks for itself. Like you're not always going to agree with coach. And you know what? The kid might not get the playing time at all. Well, I mean – that's not your job. Your job is to get the kid as as great as possible, and then it's up to coach to decide. You know, um, if you're working on just the the combo moves into the step back for a kid who's going to play the three or the four, that's just not going to work, man. You're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna put yourself out of a job. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds to me, honestly, as I'm sitting here, Eric and I have had this conversation a bunch. It kind of sounds like a family, right? <laughs> You really, that's the way I run my household. Everybody's got to be on the same page. You know, my wife, myself, my children, my other children, uh, all working in in succession to make that happen. I'm going to stick with the relationship theme, if you don't mind, and just want to get into talking about, you know, training athletes and, and working in inner circles. Eric and I have talked a lot about, and it's just a topic we've been exploring with all our guests lately, about success and, you know, limiting who has exposure to you and time is such a valuable commodity. Um, What does that look like for you personally, like development of your inner circle? Do you keep it really small? Do you expand it? 
And then do you have any advice for kids that are trying to achieve and get better and maybe play at the next level? Lots of advice there. You asked 17 questions. In the- I know. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> but that's okay because it, it's perfect. Uh, the inner circle is hands down your most important thing there is possible. Okay. So uh, even if we're looking at developing kids, like we're talking kids. All right. My job as a parent, I've got two kids. You've got yours. Um, so like our job as parents, once they get to six, technically our job is done. Now all we have to do is be an example. Okay. Uh, so the choice of their friends becomes the most important thing. Okay. So that's going to decide what, what where they go, the choices that, that they make, um, and then the, the routes that they choose. Right. So um, same thing with the, the athletes that we're working with. Uh, same exact thing. Like you're, you're focused on just trying to give them options so that they can see the impact of who is inside of that circle. What are they telling you? You know, um, and I think that that's a huge thing. Like if you can listen and you can teach your kid to listen and to hear what somebody's actually telling you, is it benefiting you? And if it's not, then you have to reevaluate your time because time's the one commodity we don't get back, right? So our focus needs to be on, okay, does it, is this maximizing me as a person? And, you know, a lot of the times it's hard because there are even some family members whose time that they give you, um, they don't believe in you or they say things and they, and, and it doesn't align with where you want to go. So a lot of the times it's going to have to be like, I got to cut that out. And, you know, you're not going to be able to cut your parents out, but you are going to have to be able to be able to to minimize what you're hearing from the people that don't give life to you. Don't make you better um, and don't point you in the right direction. Uh, So it's really, really like that's something that we talk about a lot of times in our workouts. And when I when I have that individual time with the kids is with the players is, yo, um, how's the inner circle going? How are the people you're hanging out with? What are they doing? Um, and so, you know, it's important to, it's not necessarily that they got to be all on the same page, but they got to be reading the same book. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, you're always going to find people in different avenues. So such a great answer. And I appreciate you saying that. And so we are just so, you know, and our listeners know this, we really don't script these out. This is just a really casual conversation. So I apologize if I'm kind of catching you off guard with this next one, but so we have this conversation. I, believe everything that you just said is true. I do it with all four of my children. But where is, do you think that there's a balance in there um, with your inner circle and keeping your time tight and a struggle with this idea of like serving others? Because one of our big things is being more of a faith-based family is really working towards service towards others and, and putting your time into that that part of your life. But yeah, at the same time, building in some of that uh, alone time or, you know, worrying about what's good for you as well. Do you find, and I don't know if my, my question's really clear, do you do you see a distinction there or can you do both? Uh, you know what? Actually, that is uh, the reason I started this thing called The Healthy Leader. Um, and it's so that you can give time to yourself. And everybody who has already gone through this that's one of the big takeaways that they've gotten from the 90-day program is that they have this ability to devote this X number of minutes per day to themselves. It's just like you're going on the airplane 
uh, and the oxygen mask come down. And what do they tell you? They tell you to put the oxygen mask on first before you put it on your loved ones. Um, so it's really, really important to make sure that right here, like in order for you to have balance, you've got to be able to take care of you first. And so that was the whole reason why we started that healthy leader. Um, because then what that does for us from what we've researched and what we found from healthy leaders that, dude, <clears throat> my decision making increases, the power of my decisions increase, my stress and anxiety decreases, my energy increases. Um, and then my ability to make sure and discern what decisions need to be made, you know, then once I can make those decisions, that leaves more energy for me to be able to give to my family or to uh, my inner circle or to my responsibilities at which I need to do to be successful. And so, Jason, what do you think are some of the ways, and I don't want to give the whole program away, and maybe I would love for you to just expand on what that program is what are some ways that leaders can do that i know as a coach you know and every different hat that i wear here as an educator i'm constantly looking for that time uh and sometimes feeling guilty when i do take it because there's so many hats that i do have to wear are there any tips tricks or things that you could give that would help people find that time for themselves sure uh you know what It's we're in a world right now where you've got Hulu, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, HBO Max. I mean, you've got all this stuff, which means chances are you've got time to, to devote to yourself because you're making time to, to watch that stuff. Um, and so I, you just have to find time during the day at which can do that. You know, we've researched it and we found that, you know, like we call these office snacks, right? So we, we call like seven minutes. Those people who don't have a lot of time to exercise, um, we make sure that they set different times on their phones, different alarms on their phones at which they could do one minute or you could do three and a half minutes, right? right. Um, to where you're going to do an exercise for that time frame. And so instead of grabbing the Cheetos that you would typically grab for your snack, you're grabbing yourself and you're going, okay, I got to get a minute straight of squats and I got to crank this out. Now, you might look silly if somebody's watching, but guess what that person who's watching wishes that they could do? That they could have the discipline to do that instead of eating that Cheeto while they're watching you. They wish that they had it. They just need might, they might need an example, right? So we try to do different, uh, different exercises that you could do throughout the day. And they found that, you know, like if you did seven one-minute exercises – it's the equivalent of jumping rope for seven minutes. So your heart rate legitimately gets the same benefits um, that of the of the two. So we've got an opportunity to mix in some stuff um, for those. So snacks would be one. Uh, probably the the most important thing. Um, not that you would get out of the healthy leader, but the for your question is the breath work. Uh, if you have the ability to get your breath work in, like I wake up every morning, I do my thank you, Jesus, because I struggled with, you know, two years of vertigo where when I woke up, my world spun. And so, I, you know, I battled that. And so every day that I don't have it is a day that I truly see as a gift. And so when I wake up and my head's not spinning, it's a man. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. I'm not going to take it lightly. Uh, and then I go downstairs and then I immediately get into my breath work. I go seven minutes of my breath work. Um, and then I jump into whatever exercise might be my focus for the day, um, just to kickstart the day. And so it's not my main exercise, 
but it kick it kick starts it so it might be seven minutes uh you know i'm up to 950 so today's 10 10 minutes of a plank i'm trying to catch my man ben newman who just did a 21 minute plank um so i'm trying to get there but you know i i'm one place and he's another and we're all at different places and i i respect that but uh so I'm just trying to get better in the morning. And then I go, you know, then I go into reading, you know, because I know the benefits of what reading does after a high intensity or aerobic uh, exercise will do. So there's lots of different ways that you can do with minimal time. Like our healthy leader kickstarts it at 28 minutes. So there's 28 minutes in the day that you could get as a coach that you could devote to yourself and that you just see the difference in you. You feel the difference in you. You have a better ability to handle stressful situations because you've got your breath work mastered. You're able yeah. to lower that heart rate. You're able to understand situations. Uh, and so I think it's huge on being able to do that. That's so, so many great tips. And so if I can just maybe just expand. So for you, is that always a morning thing? Is that like what the research shows is that the morning's the best time to do that? Or is that as long as you're building it into a consistent part of your day? Uh, yes and no. How about that? Yeah, that's a good answer. The, the, research, the research shows that it's, it's important to find your optimal time. Um, the earlier you can receive uh, sunlight or light from the sun, so to speak, uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily the sun. Don't stare at the sun. Right. But the, the brightness, um, if you can get outside, then it kickstarts that cortisol level, which everybody thinks is a bad thing and it's not. We want to kickstart that cortisol as early as possible so that it can go to the hormones at the right time. If we wait until later, then we might kickstart that cortisol level a little bit late. And then that means that we have trouble sleeping. Um, so we don't really want to do that. Uh, so the earlier, the better. Uh, but some people, they don't optimally work great in the morning. And so I, I meet them where they are and go, okay, well, how about 10 a.m. or how about noon or whatever it is. Like your body, uh, your body is it's important to set two different schedules for your body and that's feeding and exercise. So if you can regulate those to where those are all the time at those specific times, then your body can be a lot more uh, effective in getting to the level at which you want to get to. Those are such great tips, such great tips. And so I think for me that time in the morning is probably the most optimal time given that, you know, I have four, four kids under 14 what does that life look like for you? And maybe just expand. I know you're a busy guy too. You're coaching. We're doing some training stuff. Entrepreneur, you have your business. How is all of that, specifically the coaching, the training, has that affected your family life? Oh, man. You know what? Uh, to be honest, that's originally why I stepped down from coaching. When I left Drury University, uh, which is, I think, the top women's basketball program in the country, Um when I stepped down there, I I did that because I know of the impact that it was causing my family, and I didn't want to do that. Uh, so I, I made that decision aware. Um, now I think it's just the kids are a little bit older, and you know I'm I can get back into coaching and not be gone for so long. So I have a lot of respect for the coaches that are coaching college and gone from Thursday till Sunday, and you know maybe some of them have a newborn, which I did at that time. So. Uh, you know, I, it's really difficult 
but my family respects it. My like my kids, my youngest comes with me as much as possible. He's like, Dad, I want to go to training. Um, my oldest used to used to come like he'd come when whenever I was rebounding with Drew and and Tatum and. So he'd come and, and he'd just watch or he'd go do trick shots or, you know, all sorts of different things. So I think it's just kind of about making things fun. And then when you do come home, it's never it's not bringing the attitude with you. You know, they found that it's more it's not about the presence or the amount of time that you are home. So I could work a double shift and work uh, and even work that swing shift or the late shift. Um, I could work that. And it's all about who I am when I come home. And that's where the that's what the kids take with them. They don't take the fact that hell, dad's only home four hours out of the day. No, they take with them that oh, well, dad's in a grumpy mood when he comes home and doesn't want to do this. Or dad's always bringing the energy. He's always get, got this mood, and he's always happy, and he's always excited to see me, and blah 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 blah. And so that was one thing that I made certain was that when I come home, that it's it's the energy me, and I'll use whatever energy I have left to make sure that that's what I give. Yeah, not always the quantity of time, but the quality of the time that you give, I think, is something that is such a such a powerful thing. I what I found too is that for my when I get home with my kids, they recognize too in my wife that being in the gym or working in athletics gives me joy. And so being away, you know, even though I might be away for a little bit, when I come home, like you said, you're in I'm usually in a pretty happy mood because I'm doing what I love. And that just kind of transfers as well. What were some of the things, you know, you did say you stepped down and stepped back from coaching uh, your college team. What were some of the things maybe that you did see? Like if we had some coaches listening right now that were maybe struggling with this, what were some of the things that you were seeing that maybe gave you the sign or the indicator that maybe you should pull back? Uh, Well, there was a bunch. And, you know, it just – my wife's eight months pregnant when we moved to Springfield. so. You know, she wasn't happy at that day anyways. So we're, I mean, we're, we're fighting a struggle at, at home, um, from the very get go. Uh, so I, that didn't help. And we're, we moved to a town that she doesn't know, you know, me, I, I don't care. Like I'll, I'm going to make friends. <laughs> I'm going right. to, I'm going to go love on some people and, and go meet them and, and be all right. But you know, like it's really tough when you just have a baby and then you don't know anybody. So you're always home and, uh, you know, so <clears throat> That was a tough thing. And, you know, like recruiting standpoint, like those college coaches that got to recruit all the time, man, that's a that's a really tough thing on families. Um, And, you know, I completely respect it. And I think it's just managing uh, when you go recruiting, you know, just making sure that there is that balance of you with your family um, when you can be there with your family. Uh, And so that's a that's a really tough thing. And uh, it's it's an investment thing. So you want to be great as a coach and you want your kids to be great. Um, ultimately, I stepped down just because I'm losing time. Um, somebody gave me the greatest advice and just said, Jason, what I did was I realized that I spent all this time recruiting somebody else's kid when I could have been recruiting my own. And so like that piece, that piece hit me. Um and so I take that advice to make sure that I'm always, I'm constantly trying to recruit my kids. You know, I want them to play for Team Fry. Yeah, absolutely. That is such a powerful line right there. Um, so that maybe leads me into my next thing. How, 
emotionally difficult then was it? And I think you kind of already answered it, but making that leap and changing directions, you know, because if you're in coaching and you get stuck in this rut, you know, I'm in my early 40s at this point. So, you know, I've kind of been doing the same thing for a while. And then to, to change directions can get a little bit, you know, uh, tense, maybe cause a little bit of stress or anxiety. How, how did you find that change was moving from one part of the game into another or from one area of life into another? Was it pretty seamless? I've talked to Eric and I have talked to a bunch of coaches that some have said, oh, we just go for it. And it, it worked out. We just knew it was going to work. And some have said um, it, it weighed on them a little bit. What was that like for you as you got out of maybe the coaching world and into the training and have progressed throughout your business ventures. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been training since you know I was pretty close to those eighteen. You know, so the training piece I probably I never got away from even when I was coaching. Uh, but the emotional piece, you know what? Like for a lot of people, it weighs on them really, really heavy. Um, but it doesn't weigh on me because I've now shifted to the fact that you know, like if God's in it, God's in it. So I'm not going to worry about, you know, like if an opportunity comes and I pray about it or I talk with my wife about it and it's not the opportunity, I don't lose emotional, like I don't have residue from that. Um, and so, and remember that residue is not, neither good nor bad. It's just baggage that comes with everything that we experience, right? So, um I don't have that residue. Um, if it's a really, really tough decision or like we end up leaving, then I already know that God's in it. And so then I don't have to worry about it. Then I can go full steam ahead. So some of those coaches who do, who go, I didn't even think about it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's probably because they were set on it and they had peace about it. And so sometimes you do have a lot of emotions involved. You know, maybe you coach there for 10 years and you've got all these relationships there and you're leaving those relationships. But if God's in it, then God's in it for me. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is just making sure that that the right people are in it for you and your decision making process. And then you go with it. There's not a I, I think twice about it. You know, um, I fought one time in terms of I really battled between two different decisions from from a job perspective. And I had to make one and I was really bummed about it. And my buddy said, go ahead, have your pity party, go get your drinking on, go do whatever it takes. But tomorrow, 24 hours from now, it's over. Like it's done. So feel bad. That's fine. Pity. But that's it. Like you had your time. And then now let's see what happens. Let's move forward and go with it. So I've always been a, you know, once I make that decision, once I go, dude, I'm jumping. I'm jumping. I'm all in. I love it. I love that phrase. When God's in it, you're you're good to go. I appreciate you uh, sharing that. I, I feel the same way. I just, the constant battle with making sure, you know, for me, it's, you know, as I get older and I, I have this cherished time with my kids, it's constantly, you know, just a second guessing sometimes of making sure you're on the right path and you're, you're cherishing this time with your kids and want to do the right thing. So, but I love that line, when God's in it, God's in it, and you just go with it. We, we have a phrase in our house, make it work. <laughs> we just make it work, and, you know, whatever will be, will be. Such a good 
good advice. Um, I'm going to change it up then a little bit. And I appreciate all the sharing with the off the court stuff, but I do, I would be crazy. Eric would kill me if I didn't get into a little bit of basketball stuff, maybe not the X's and O's, but what do you, I'm going to start with the broad, the macro, and then maybe get into the micro. What, what would be, since we have a training expert on here, some advice that you might give, we talked about that rectangle earlier with all the different pieces. If you have coaches that are playing multiple roles in this relationship, they're both the coach and the trainer. Are there any like key pieces of advice, like one or two that you might share with coaches to make sure that they are getting the most out of their time with their athlete? Yeah. Uh, two things would probably, two things stand out the most uh, footwork. Um, if you can't do the footwork prior to the catch on the catch and then after the catch, then none of that crap matters because it's going to be a turnover, you know? Um, and then the second piece would automatically be um, making sure that you're repping what wins, what wins games, um, you know? And so you're looking at, okay, uh, you're looking at shooting, you're looking at decision-making, uh, and then you're looking at finishing. So it's really like those three are the hands down most important things. If you're, if you're a coach and it's the footwork on all of that, so the footwork on the finishing, it's the footwork on the landing, it's the footwork on the on the catch and shoot. It's um, it's all of that put together that that impacts the winning percentages. And so you just focus on that, um, you know. And it's hard because you know you're sitting there. Most coaches don't challenge themselves, and so they only they're only going to teach what they know and what they know well. And a lot of times, what they know and what they know well doesn't fit the team that they currently have. And so it becomes, uh, do I ask somebody for help or not? And a lot of times I would say that that's probably more of the hindrance than, um, than what you give your kids to work out on. Yeah, and I think, well, if I'm going with that, footwork and wrapping what wins, shooting, you know, decision-making and finishing, it shouldn't really matter what offense you're running because all of those things – are going to play a role in that. Would you mind maybe expanding on, I'm so curious. I've, you know, I've been coaching varsity high school basketball for about 16 years and I've been living in this footwork state of mind for about the last decade. And it's funny because sometimes I'll work some basketball camps and some of the drills that I do with some high school level kids, Everybody kind of gives me a dirty look like they they know that already. What are you doing? You know, and I feel like I need to maybe step back with some of them because their their feet are just all wrong. Right. And I just so if you could if you wouldn't mind, maybe just when you say footwork prior, during and after the catch, what are what are some of the things that, you know, and again, you don't have to go super in depth, but what are some of the things that you're looking for or that you guys stress? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and here's the deal: like uh, as a coach, I think it's really important to um, to have the guys play or the girls play. Okay. Uh, you know, so like, and you just sit there and film it. Like, pick a kid and film him. Pick a kid and film her on the offensive end and heck even in the defensive end. Cause I think it's really, really important to make sure that you're, that the kids learn how to play defense. Um, if you're a coach that help that over helps and has, you know, help the helper and blah, blah, blah. I, I think that that's really important um, to, to make sure that you show them. So like you could even show her uh, here's how you were. You notice how when they drove towards you, you ended up coming back towards the ball. Well, 
all you did was bring your man to the ball. So then you're not open and you're not in the optimal position. Or you show her, hey, look, they drove and you shifted away a little bit. And then look how you caught with the feet. Now in this position, now you're not able to do the most important thing, which is catch and shoot, right? So then you just show, okay, this is why. So, so you get back to the why you're stressing the most important thing. So this is the why you do that boring thing that you're doing at the, at the camp. You sit there and go, this is a walk, dude. So you went straight into that, did a move, got by your defender, did a beautiful finish and laid it up in the rim and it went in, but the ref called a travel. So what good is it? So I think it's important to just even show those little pieces of that of, okay, what could I do on this catch? Did you feel that? Did you feel that foot drag? Did you feel that foot not or come up before the ball got put down on the floor? Uh, so then you just show them those little pieces and, and then it becomes that aha moment. Did you feel that? So, you know, like the best, uh, the best teaching is always, always when they can self-correct. So you just have to get to that point. Absolutely. It's so good. And so when you're teaching footwork, uh, and this might be too broad a topic right now, so I apologize if it is. So on the catch, are you, is that determined like where you catch it? You know, what kind of, you know, action you're looking for? Um, are there some pretty basic fundamental ways to catch like reverse pivoting in front pivoting in? Like, do you work on all that stuff or what's, what's your, kind of game plan or does that depend on what the athlete needs uh more so what the athlete needs and then more so of um can how close can you get to them staying comfy but also incorporating something new okay because if it's too far outside of their zone so like um there's science behind it so it's but if it's four percent outside of your zone if it's anywhere in between there the sweet spot then you you've got a chance at learning and grasping it. If it's outside of that, so if you teach them something way too complex, it won't happen, right? So it's got to be within the realm of slightly comfort and then slight discomfort. So um, some of some people are hoppers. Um, one of the girls that I coached, she was 53% from the three at the Division two level. That's disgusting. Like, right. crazy, right? So, and she was a hopper. I'm not touching you. Like, I'm not touching your feet. Are you kidding me? You do what you're doing and we'll just rep it, rep it, rep it. Because I'm not messing with greatness. You know, like that's just silly. Uh, but some other people who, you know, who are getting walks or who aren't consistent or who end up shooting super narrow and then landing super wide or whatever it is, then we can start cleaning it up by just making something a little bit more foundational. So are you doing this every single time? Um so I think that that's really important. And I do also think that the higher the level the kid, the more types of catches that you should be offering them off of catch and shoot shots. So if you've got a kid who's really got a challenge, there are going to be sometimes he's going to end up having to shoot on a hop. Right. Um, as much as I'm against hop shooting, right. he's going to have to. So we got to get him comfy with doing it. You know, and even if it's just a couple reps so that he feels it, does it, and is successful, boom, let's move on type of thing. So uh, there's going to be different types of catches that you do. I think staying with just one thing ends up hurting you in the long run. 
That's so good. That actually leads into the next area that I would love for you to maybe give some advice. So I'm going to go to athletes because we do have some athletes that listen to our pod as well. And they're often reaching out and asking for, for things that they can do uh, by themselves. Maybe if they don't have access to a trainer for a variety of reasons. Are there any things that anything, is there anything, excuse me, can't talk today, that you would suggest um, for them to focus on? I mean, obviously we're talking probably the same similar things, right? Footwork, shooting, decision-making, finishing. But what does that look like for an athlete that maybe doesn't have access to a trainer? Oh, great stuff. Well, uh, we have a plethora of different options. I mean, we have the best app there is within the Pure Sweat app. So like if he couldn't pay five bucks a month in order to get the Pure Sweat app and be able to have a, you know, a 15 minute workout, 30 or 45 an hour with a partner, without a partner, um, you know, if, if that was the case, then, you know, you're sitting there looking at, okay, A, I should probably hit somebody up from a social media standpoint that knows about movement and can look at my movements. And if we can get a movement specialist that can go, okay, hey, man, you're really, here's two exercises that you could do that could improve your movement because you're real tight here, then that's going to help you out on the floor. The second piece I would do is I would have somebody, and that, I wouldn't necessarily call it an accountability partner but accountability competitor so that somebody's going to hold you to a level of standard that's high for you to play one-on-one with and for you to play two-on-two with. And those two things, because that all that does is teach you how to be competitive. Um, the only reason that I yell at my high school coach who we, we climb mountains together with every year, I yell at him all the time. I'm like, you encouraged cross country. And I was like, that's totally the wrong system. And I'm sitting there yelling at him because of what all I know now about the two systems and how they don't really benefit. And he's like, but it got people to compete against others. All it was, was a one-on-one. It's me against whoever is in front of me. And so once I got that piece, I'm like, okay, so if we can just get it to where our players are mastering, just getting the hang of one-on-one, man, even if it's, and once again, it's going to come back to how good is this player in front of me? So if it's me against somebody, if it's me against Tatum, I will never, ever win, and it won't benefit me whatsoever. But if I get against somebody who's just within maybe a little bit better than me, now I can play, and now I can really benefit because maybe I get a stop. Maybe I legitimately cut them off that one time, and, and that gives me a little bit confidence to keep going. So it can't ever be something that erases the confidence. It's got to be something to where it's like golf, man. I hit that one shot and I'm like, dude, I'm coming back. Yeah. You know, so and yeah. so that's all something that we got to create within the one on one and within those kids. So movement, learn how to, you know, learn how to move better and then play one on one and just get shots up in the end. Get shots up. Yeah, get shots up. I love it. And I think that's where maybe to maybe start winding down here. Just. I appreciate you saying that about, you know, playing with someone that gives, can give you a little bit of a challenge, but also give you a little bit of success. Um, We see doing travel ball and practice, my son included. I'm constantly looking at different scenarios for kids. And this is maybe for our parents that listen, Um, putting kids on travel teams versus working out in the gym. I'm sure I can figure out your answer to that. But if you want to just share a little bit, 
And then what travel team or what teams they get put on, do you always need to be, do you think, on the best travel team? Or do you think sometimes it's okay being on, for lack of a better way of saying it, a middle to average travel team so that you can get more reps yourself? Any thoughts on that? I think it's all about reps. I think it's all about reps. Um, you know, from I love the highest level. Like highest level is great. Like everybody wants here in, in St. Louis, everybody wants to be a part of, you know, Brad Beal, Gateway, uh, the Knights, like all these other programs that are really, really good. People want to be a part of those programs because they win and they're technically the highest level, right? Um, but it does not matter. The junior high kid can't get a scholarship. He's right. still got to graduate high school. Like all these kids still got to graduate. They still got to get, uh, they still have to get better. Um, so if like, if I was giving advice, then my junior high kids compete in the city, compete in the city, wherever you're at, just compete that like your job anyways is to dominate your backyard regardless. So if you're a player, you got to dominate your backyard because uh, somebody's going to come in. UCLA's coming in to watch the like the best player compete. And so if you have that habit of winning and owning your town, then they're going to come see you, you know. And so you've got to focus on just trying to, to own the backyard and to own the people that you play with. And then as you do, then it becomes time to get a different playground, right? If you're the best kid on the playground, find a new playground. So it just ends up being like if you're if you're dominating your backyard, all right, I just got to make my backyard bigger now. And then I want to continue to make that backyard bigger. So the better and better and better you get, the more important it is to then branch out and to own the Midwest or to branch out and then own the East Coast, you know? So I think that slowly and progressively you can do that. But if you're in middle school, it doesn't matter. Own your city. Go play everybody in your city and compete against them. Uh, such great advice. I appreciate that so much, Jason. Um, listen, we have kept you for a while here. I appreciate all the time you've given. Before we go, though, is there anything you guys are doing, either with Pierce Sweat or on your own coming up, that you want us to keep a lookout and you want us to maybe get the word out up for you? Hey, man, always keep a lookout. You know, our skills coaches got their pages up on, on Pure Sweat, and they do an amazing job. We don't have a skills coach that doesn't do a great job. So uh, just go look on there and see the coaches that are in the different cities and the closest one to you. Reach out to them. Um, they do an amazing job, and they'll get back with you pretty quick. Um, and Drew's always doing some amazing things. So I don't even know what's going to go, what this summer is going to look like. I know he's training some guys for the pre-draft stuff. So really excited about that piece. Um, we've got the healthy leader rocking and rolling. So people can sign up for that. Uh, certainly for coaches, educators, uh, just anybody in a leadership position, we're going to help, help you make, uh, just better decisions and become quite a bit healthier, uh, so that you can shoot, live the life that you want to live, not the one that's just automatically handed to you. So uh, we want to do that. We want to make it so that you're just feeling better and your relationships improve, your stress goes down, and, you know, you got, you're feeling and loving life. You know, you're living the life God wants you to live. So then um, <clears throat> that's at my mycoachjfry.com website. Uh, so we've got a lot of stuff rocking and rolling, and and it's just exciting to be a part of all of it. Yeah, coach. Thank you so much. I appreciate the energy. I appreciate you coming on with us. I know you're a busy guy. Um, 
So if you ever need anything look, moving out, uh, we'll definitely be on t- in touch on social media and all those different platforms. But thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate getting the word out. All right. No problem, Coach. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 